the value of investments and any income generated from them can fall as well as rise. Where charges are taken from capital, this may constrain future growth. I received a piece of work from the desk of John Stopford, head of multi-asset income at 91 in London, the title of which was as follows, Capturing Resilient Income During Turbulent Times. And John Stopford is with me now, speaking to us from London. Before we get into the body of your piece, John, how different is your investing life today to what it was, say, a year or 18 months ago, given the backdrop of rising inflation and rising interest rates and potentially further rising of interest rates, raising of interest rates? Uh, Well, it's certainly more challenging. So a year ago, you had growth at very fast levels. Inflation was picking up, but still at pretty low levels. And central bankers were sort of focused on maximum policy accommodation, getting us through the the pandemic. And, And clearly, you know, fast forward to today, you've got growth coming off very high levels and being a bit more uncertain. You've clearly got inflation that is shocking a lot of central banks and and more generally eating into people's pay packets. And then you've got central bankers trying to sort of catch up, realising that they've got pretty far behind the curve in terms of policy. And so trying to outdo each other in, in terms of sounding hawkish and moving quickly to remove policy accommodation. You want to uh, offer protection, it says here, in the turbulent times. Obviously, you always want to offer protection, but how how more important is it today in your strategy to offer protection, given the fact that I think, and I'll come to this in a moment, I think you are slightly cautious about certain asset classes and their performances in the near and medium term? Absolutely. So the challenge is valuations on lots of asset classes are stretched relative to the past. So equity valuations on the whole look somewhat elevated, but obviously bond markets are paying or have been paying very low yields and cash has been paying very low yields. So valuations aren't giving you much in the way of prospective return. And then on top of that, you've clearly got more uncertainty about the outlook, particularly as central banks take away the punch bowl and the danger is you end up in a much more volatile, much more messy and potentially an environment where expensive things sell off. And yes. the danger is they all sell off together, <laughs> yes. which is what the investing maxim is, you know, to diversify. But it, you, it's harder to diversify if you've got common drivers pushing the valuation of everything down. Yes, I think if everything goes down, then everything does go down, if you see what I mean. That was rather clumsily put, but uh, (laughs) it's not going to be bonds doing one thing and equities doing another to many people's minds. But one of the key points in your piece, you say the following, we believe bonds may face the headwind of rising yields for years, not just months, leaving them ill-equipped to reliably offset periods of equity market weakness. I mean, some people keep on referring to the word transitory, which has been sort of shunted aside a little bit when it comes to inflation. But you think years rather than months. That's quite a statement, John. Well, it's simply that, you know, we have been through about 40 years of pretty much one-way traffic for bond yields. So in each cycle, policy rates have been cut further, policy has been eased more aggressively. And so, you know, you've seen yields incrementally fall to levels where they now pay structurally a negative real return and, and in some cases a negative nominal return. And if we are moving into a world where inflation is maybe a little bit more 
persistent and we're in a world where nominal growth as a result is somewhat higher, it is going to be hard, I think, for central banks to maintain policy as loose as they have done in recent years and recent decades. And the danger then is, you know, bond yields have to reprice. You have you end up going back to higher real and nominal yields. And and if we go back and look at previous episodes of sort of rising inflation and rising yields, it doesn't tend to happen overnight. You don't reprice in a very short order. You do a bit of that, but generally it, it takes you know, a cycle or two for these things to play out. So that that hence the sort of thought that potentially this is a headwind for bond markets that could take years to play out rather than just be over in a few months. That doesn't mean it'll all go in one direction. It'll go up and down. But it's it's the, the bias, I think, that we're, we're highlighting that it's yields are more likely to rise, we think, or at least go sideways than down from here. Let me play devil's advocate here. Is it not the case that it might be that uh, if, for example, uh, the equity market as a risky asset class uh, starts to come off a bit and starts to come off a little bit more than is comfortable for the, for example, the US Federal Reserve or the US government or any other governments worldwide, then everyone reverses, the central banks reverse their raising interest rate policy and withdrawal of liquidity and inject liquidity again and keep rates at a certain level or even cut them because there's always that put option isn't there well i think that's the learned behavior of recent decades that the danger though is central bankers have built up a lot of credibility in terms of anchoring inflation expectations at low levels and i think they're now beginning to worry that those expectations could become unanchored if they don't address what appears to be a more persistent inflation problem. So the risk you have is that they're focused on inflation, not on growth, and certainly perhaps not on equity markets, uh, and might be willing to sacrifice the latter to keep stop inflation expectations rising too far. So that the danger is the put, if you want to call it that, the sort of Powell put or the Fed put, yes. is much more out of the money now than it's been for some considerable time. So they, they'll tolerate potentially more weakness in growth and more weakness in markets in order to try and avoid the de-anchoring of inflation expectations. And I must point out that the word put is my word, not 91's word. The global backdrop is likely to be challenging for single asset solutions, you say, as well as traditional balanced strategies, which tend to run with the market and rely on bonds for diversification. What is your strategy at the moment, John, given everything you've just said and looking forward to an uncertain and potentially turbulent future? And, and again, I'll use the phrase near and medium term. What are you doing at the moment? So our approach, I think, is pretty simple. So rather than relying so much on making big top down calls and, and potentially relying on some of the ideas that have worked very well in the past, i.e. 60, 40 equity bond diverse, diversified strategies as your sort of anchor, we think actually it makes much more sense to approach this looking at the world from the bottom up, looking at, at a security level and saying, okay, where can I find resilient sources of income that are well priced? So where can I find attractively valued bonds or equities that are capable of paying persistent income and aren't too expensive? and build a portfolio of those, whatever they are, and then make sure that the overall level of risk is managed, not necessarily by owning lots of bonds to offset lots of equities, 
but rather to have a balance of securities that isn't too volatile, has some level of diversification, but in particular, where you actually just manage the level of risk as the risk environment changes. So run less risk when things are looking more uncertain and valuations are looking more stretched and run a bit more risk when things are looking more benign. So active risk management and security selection, it's it's a bit like, I guess, what equity managers or bond managers have done traditionally. It's not typically what multi-asset managers do. Very finally, given what you've just said in that last answer, can you find and are you finding persistent income opportunities? Absolutely. I mean, the advantage you have by looking at the security level is you have, you know, in the current world, something like 25,000 tradable, relatively liquid securities to choose from. That gives you lots of opportunities to find, you know, two, three hundred securities with decent income. You don't have to find the best. You just have to find enough combination. And there are plenty of combinations out there. It's much harder to pick the winning asset class or, you know, the winning currency or the winning bond market because you've got much less choice. Uh, And I think those things are, you know, you're, you're then trying to take a view on lots of different moving parts as opposed to what we're doing, which is really focusing on okay, the cash flows that underpin the income of the security, how reliable are they? How persistent have they been? How cyclical are they? And essentially, you know, what price is the market putting on those cash flows and how does that compare to other securities, other positions that you could own? John, thanks very much for your insight. That was John Stopford, Head of Multi-Asset Income at 91 in London. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.